Our first scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Our second scripture reading is from the Gospel of John Chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Just to give you a bit of context, Jesus is praying. And this is one of his last prayers before going to the cross to redeem humanity for our sins. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you, and you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. It's the word of the Lord. The title of this morning's sermon is A United Church in a Divided Nation. A United Church in a Divided Nation. If you're like me, you remember where you were on September 11th, 2001. You remember the sights and the sounds. You remember the confusion, the shock, the terror, and the heartbreak. Yet, in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks on 9-11, there was at least one thing that changed for the better. Perhaps you remember this. For the first time in my lifetime, it was clear that we were united. We were united in prayer. We were united in action. We were united because we set aside our differences and remembered the one thing that we held in common. We were all Americans. We were united. And 21 years later, we are divided. Democrats versus Republicans, gun rights versus gun, control Roe versus Wade. I think that we, we create things to be divided over. If you remember during the 
pandemic, anti-vax versus pro-vax with masks. Today, I hope that you find comfort in knowing that Jesus Christ, Lord of all, saw all this division coming. This is why in, in Matthew 24, 7, he predicts, prophesies rightly, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. He saw a divided world and he warned us, he said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So what is, what was Jesus's answer to all of this division? And in John 17, we see Jesus's response to the division in his world and the division that he knew was coming to our world in our day. In the face of division, Jesus in John 17 prays for unity. In fact, he prays for complete unity. He uses the word one, that they may be one. And before we get to the scripture passage that we read, John 17 verses 20 through 23, I want to take you to the first part of Jesus's prayer. John 17, 1 tells us, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. In other words, Father, it's my time. My time has come to die and to be resurrected. May you draw all people to me so that I may draw all people to you. And after Jesus prays for himself, Jesus prays for his first followers, his original disciples. John 17, 11, he says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I could see you and I praying a similar prayer. Perhaps we've already prayed this type of prayer. Lord, protect my people. Lord, protect my family. Lord, protect my followers. Lord, protect my beloved. Lord, by the power of your name, protect my children, my siblings, my spouse, my grandchildren. If you're a praying person, I bet you've prayed for the Lord's protection. However, Jesus's prayer differs a bit from our ordinary prayers for, or our typical prayers for protection in this. Often, when we pray for the Lord's protection to be upon our family and our friends, our nation, we're praying for protection from suffering. 
We're praying for protection from disease. Perhaps we're even praying for protection from death. However, when Jesus prays for protection for his followers, he doesn't pray for protection from suffering or trouble or disease or from death because Jesus knows that all those things are coming. Instead, Jesus prays for protection for his original followers from division. See, as, as, as Christians, as, as a church, perhaps we've become a little bit too comfortable with division. We've come to accept that we will be divided from people who believe differently from us, live differently from us, have different politics or views from us. Yet Jesus prays for division. Jesus sees division as an enemy to God's people, his people, his church, his family, his beloved. And so he prays for his first followers. Protect them from division. Father, in a divided nation, may my church, may the Christians be united. In this same prayer from John 17, Jesus prays for all generations of Christians for all time. That means he prayed for First Presbyterian Church of Fairfield. And have you ever wondered what Jesus prays for when he prays for you? You ever wonder what, what God wants for you and I? Wants for you and I as much as and, and perhaps more than anything else? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever wondered? Well, in his prayer, we understand Christ's desire and will for First Presbyterian Church of Fairfield. Jesus says in verse 21 that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You heard his prayers. You know, I feel good reading Jesus' prayer. You know why? I can be a bit repetitive and long-winded when I pray. Might repeat the same thing over and over again. In Christ, he seems to be a bit repetitive. Perhaps he's trying to make a point. Perhaps he's trying to draw us away from our wandering minds and, and cement in our hearts and our minds what, what his will is. And that is that we may be one. It's over and over and over again. Be one, be one, be one, be one, be one, be one. We're tired of hearing be one. Do you know the question that I, I forced myself to ask this week when, when I heard Christ's words that we, the church, need to be one? It's, it's, it's the question my toddler asks. I, I tell her to do something. You, you want to take a wild guess what, what she asks when I say brush your teeth? Yeah, you're, you're all saying it. Uh, someone said no, that's correct. She does say no, but, 
But before she says why and proclaims I don't want to, then she'll say no. But she says why? I don't want to. Why? I don't want to. And so I found myself this week asking Jesus what my daughter asked me, why unity? I don't want to. Why is unity so important to you, Lord? I don't want to. Why do you desire people who are not family to treat one another as family? I don't want to. Why do you desire for church people to be closer than our work people, school people, and sports people? I don't want to. Why do you desire that our church of creative and boring, young and old, black and white, rich and poor, city and country, sophisticated and simple, be united? I don't want to. And the answer is in the scripture passage. It's in his prayer. John 17, 21, he says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He says later in that same passage, that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here's what he's saying. For you arithmetic, you mathematical people, you analytical minds, let's turn this into an equation for you. One plus one equals two. Church unity plus a divided world equals belief in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying right here in the passage, right? In verse 21, Jesus is saying there's a cause and effect relationship between church unity and the believability, the validity of the gospel message. He's saying that the world will see our unity, unity among a different and diverse group of people, people who disagree, and they'll see the church as attractive and beautiful, as countercultural, and in some way, God will use that to draw people, not to us, but to faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. When we stand united, when we rally together to love one another and love others outside of these walls who we disagree with and are different from us, it will lend validity to the gospel message. On this September 11th, I'd like to give you an example of how church unity draws attention to Jesus Christ. The example is from the African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. In 2015, you may remember that this group of believers were attacked by a terrorist. The terrorist's name was Dylan Roof. He was a white nationalist Nazi. And Dylan entered their church during a Bible study, and he killed nine members, including a state senator and the church's senior pastor. During the sentencing, the survivors and the relatives of the victims could speak directly to Dylan. The church stood united. They rallied together to love one another and to love someone who was different, to love their enemy, to love a terrorist. Sounds like something Jesus would do. 
Anthony Thompson, whose wife Myra was shot and killed at point blank range, looked his wife murder in the eyes and said, I forgive you and my family forgives you, but we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, to repent, to confess and give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ. He can change your ways. No matter what happens to you, you will be okay. The church stood united around the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ. They stood united together. You know how I heard about this news story? It wasn't at church. This was the old days. I heard about it in the newspaper. It made the newspaper in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This was something that happened in Charleston, South Carolina. And not just, I'm not talking about the shooting, I'm talking about the church's response to the shooting. This story was a story that appeared in national headlines. It was a story that appeared on Twitter. It was a story that many in our country, in the world, non-believers, were taken aback by. Their unity lent believability, validity, and credibility to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His promise and his words were being fulfilled through his church. So, the last question we'll ask this morning and answer together is, how can we become a united church in a divided world? And, and this, these principles, what I'm going to share to you, this is going to help our church. This is going to help your family. Anyone need a, a bit more unity in their family? This is going to help with, with friendships, with relationships, with coworkers. So how do we become a united church, a united family in a divided world? The first answer is we are united when we share a passion and a purpose. And this, this answers the question of how can we be united? Our, our church family, who, who's diverse and who disagrees on many things, has different lifestyles and comes from different cultures and has different life experiences, how can we be united? How would that be a possibility for us? And it's because of what we hold in common, what we hold dearly. And the one thing that we hold dearly in common is a shared passion, and it's an unchanging shared passion. It'll never change, no matter how much the world change. This thing that we hold, this love, this passion will never change, and that is our love for Jesus Christ. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can be united when we share our passion. We can also be united when we share in God's purposes together, when we move in the same direction to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited on November 27th, that's Thanksgiving weekend. That's a weekend where we're not just going to put on weight. Amen? We're not just going to take a nap after, after Thanksgiving dinner. On Sunday, November 27th, we're going to gather young and old. The, the, we're going to gather different Democrats and Republicans. 
different theological beliefs, political beliefs, and we're going to pack 10,000 meals to feed the hungry in war-torn communities as well as last-mile communities. When we share in the same passion and purpose, we strive and we find unity. Second, we are united when we share ourselves. What, is, what does that mean, to share yourself? Well, this week I was reading about the very first church in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46, and they were very diverse, very, very different. They, they had people in, their, in that church leading political movements to undermine the Roman occupiers, and they had Roman soldiers. They had wealthy tax collectors and impoverished widows in their church. They were people from different nations, cultures, and ethnicities. And here's what they did. And, and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 that they were one in mind and heart. They were in one accord. Well, well, how in chapter 4 do we get to the point where these people who are so different become one in heart and mind? They're one in purpose and passion, one in accord. Well, Acts 2 actually gives us the answer. They devoted, that's the word. This wasn't number 15 on their to-do list. They devoted themselves to learning the apostles' teaching, to worshiping together at the temple, to fellowship or friendship, to breaking of bread, to eating together. And they sold property and possessions to meet one another's needs. And it actually says all the believers were together. And if we go back to our, our, our equation, our math, that church unity plus a divided world equals believability in the message of Jesus Christ, here was the outcome. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The believers who started as strangers became one because they shared themselves. They spent time together. Unity requires availability. Unity requires availability. And what do we say? I'm too busy. I have too much going on. I can't do another thing. I'm overwhelmed. There will be a united church when we share ourselves. One way to share yourself this fall is through the Red Letter Challenge. We have small groups in person and on Zoom. We have small groups for you morning risers and for you people who are night outs. It's an hour to gather together, to be together, to share ourselves, to gather around the teachings of Jesus Christ, to share our failures and successes, our questions, our answers, our burdens, and our blessings. And so the question is, are you available? Are you willing to share yourself with one another? And here's the last one. We are united when we offer kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Here's something that happens, and some of you might be surprised to hear this, but this is the truth. Do you know that when you begin to share yourself with church people, you'll be disappointed, you'll have disagreements, and people within the church will sin against you? You know why that's true? Because any time you enter into a relationship with a human being, you are entering into a relationship, whether they're Christian or not, with a sinner. And so we look at the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32, and he says, 
He gives us the, the formula for, for being together, for being united. He says, when someone sins against you, get bitter, be angry, slander, talk about them behind their back, and then walk out on the relationship. Sorry, that, I misread that. Not the Bible, not in the Bible. Here you go, ready? Because let's just be honest, we're gonna sit, when you really get into relationship, think about the people who are closest to you. Those are the ones who hurt you the most, come on. So when we're united, we're gonna encounter sin, and here's what he says. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You wanna kill unity and you wanna kill a relationship? It takes 20 years to build a relationship and 20 seconds to tear it down. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, Jesus entered into a relationship with you and I. When he did, he entered into a relationship with a sinner. He didn't talk about you behind your back. He didn't walk out on you when you, when he let, when you let him down. He died for your sins so that we can be united to him. We will sin against one another. We will let one another down. We will disagree. But the challenge and the possibility and the power of the Holy Spirit in you allows us to treat one another the way Jesus treated us. And that means we offer compassion kindness and forgiveness in a divided world christ prayed for a united church that through our unity the world would know that jesus christ is lord unity happens when we share christ's passion and purpose when we share ourselves and we treat one another as christ has treated us so this fall will you be an answer to christ's prayer for unity are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to join a small group? Are you willing to serve God's purposes as a part of this church? If you are, we will be Jesus's prayer. In answer to that prayer, a united church in a divided nation. We put aside our differences and we remember we are all Christians. Let's start this morning by praying together for unity. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that division doesn't have to have the first or final word. We thank you through Christ that we can be united, that we can choose unity, that we can choose love. And Lord, we thank you for your promise that as we choose to be united, to rally together, to love one another and love those beyond these walls, that your words are true, that you will draw many to yourself. May it be so in Christ's name, amen.